Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today we're joined by tournament angler Ryan Buddy. Ryan, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Ryan, uh, you had a great season this year on the Lake Erie Walleye Trail, uh, team of the year with your partner, Jason Kopp. Tell me a little bit about your season and what it was like this year for you. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, uh, the Lake Erie Walleye Trail's really uh, blown up. It's gotten, uh, Jason Fisher took it over. It's gotten huge. A lot of the tournaments are over, over 100 boat fields. And uh, we just had one of those dream seasons. It started off, uh, I think we got like a, a fifth in the first one and a second, and we just kept on stringing together these top tens. And then uh, going into the last tournament of the year, or the, I'm sorry, the last two tournaments of the year, we had the lead um, in anger and team of the year, which is a really big deal. It's got a good monetary prize, uh, but also it's just, it's the biggest bragging right and the most sought after award in the trail as well. And we were in the lead and, uh, but there were some teams nipping at our heels and, uh, you know, we we were able to close the door with a win in the last regular season one, and then we won the championship, and it was just it was just a dream way to finish the season, and uh, really really fun and really rewarding. Uh, a lot of hard work went into it, and uh, you know it's something we love to do. And then when you you know you're you're crowned the best, you know the best of the best, it's pretty special uh, special award. So uh, we're really excited about that. You guys had six top tens in eight total tournaments, two wins. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of the ports. Where are the places that you guys are fishing? Um, just kind of go through a little bit of the tournaments and, and those locations and how you did. Yeah, it's cool. They do uh, a good job of following the migration of the fish from west to, the, west to east. So that's basically what we do. So in the, in the spring, we're in the western basin near the spawning grounds. Uh, we take out of uh, off out of Tur Turtle Creek, out um, uh, in the in the firing range near the Cannes area of Lake Erie, and then we move uh, west. So then I think we went to uh, what Sandusky next, and then um, Huron, Lorraine, and then and those are kind of the West Central Basin tournaments. And then you get into July, and then they go out east to like Ashtabula, which right on the you know Ohio P PA border, and then slowly start coming back as the, you know, we went into like early fall and then the championship. Uh, so that was early fall, uh, early September was Geneva, which we won that. And then the championship was Fairport and we won that as well. And th those, those tournaments, those are, uh, you know, the Eastern basin, deep water, uh, you know, summer patterns that you're kind of running there. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the migration it followed and, uh, the nice thing about it too is is they stay on the they stay on the bike, so it's not like there's sure there's some of them where guys are making monster runs, running 40, 50 miles. But I mean, the last two tournaments that we run, we we won the Geneva and the Fairport Championship. We were uh, 12 miles, 12 to 15 miles from port, so that's really nice and <laughs> refreshing when you can make a run like that and and still do really well. And and most of the tournaments give you an opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's nice to not have to spend your entire check on fuel putting into the boat 
Uh, you can you can run close to home and uh, run that kicker motor more than the big motor uh, really helps out. Can you talk about that a little bit about how uh, as that season progresses, you know, your techniques, the ways that you're targeting these fish, how does that change as the season goes through and, and you're moving from port to port? Yeah, uh, early in the season, you tend to be you know, you're in the Western basin, you tend to be a lot more on like structure bites, which that's really what I would prefer and like to do. Uh, so you're fishing like tight, you know, uh, contours, uh, sandbars, uh, some of the dumping grounds, um, shoals, things like that. Like that's where we're fishing. And, and a lot of it is just precision boat control and carving around those. And, and, and we were trolling in every one of these tournaments as well. Uh, except there were, one of them was a jig and only tournament, but the other, the other seven tournaments, we were trolling in all those tournaments. And uh, so, yeah, th that's kind of what you end up doing early in the year. Uh, usually you end up starting off trolling crankbaits uh, in that cold water as the water warms up, we'll kind of go over to a spinner and spinner program. And, you know, through, through June or so, we're kind of carving, you know, shallow water structure spots pretty much. Then you got into July where we're, uh, going out east and we fished the Ashtabula tournament and there we're fishing deep water structure like so we were fishing uh, like a big uh, they call it the triangle up in the Pennsylvania area uh, Pennsylvania area near the border and there's a whole lot of, lot of mid lake deep structure that comes from you know 70 some feet of water and there's humps that top off at 45 degree 45 feet of water and you're kind of carving those that deep water area where that thermocline hits those, uh, hits that structure. Yeah. So that's deeper water, um, uh, structure fishing. And then as we came back into that Geneva and Fairport tournament, those were just straight up thermoclines in open water basin, just, you know, basin water. And, and you're there, you're finding that thermocline and trying to put your baits right on it. Ryan, uh, the Lake Erie Walleye Trail is a little bit different than a lot of the tournament series that you see. I mean, you go fish on like some national tours. It's it's a pro angler and a co-angler. With you in the Lake Erie Walleye Trail, you're fishing with the same guy every every time you go out. You've got a partner. You guys are working together. Tell me about how that strategy works and how you work with a partner on a on a tournament series. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And and it's it's kind of a funny thing is like I, I, I've fished with a lot of different partners in, in team tournaments and you don't sometimes you could be with another really good angler, but you don't have that chemistry and it just doesn't work together. Almost like you might have like, you know, I've done it where I've been like the total alpha of the of the team. And then, the, you know, I have someone that's fishing with me that just, uh, you know, a yes, sir kind of guy. And and I haven't done that while doing that. And then, I mean, we've done all right. But then, then I, you know, for this one, for example, I got a guy like Jason Koff, who, I mean, he's <clears throat> he's probably the the most winningest tournament angler on Lake Erie. You know, he's been doing this for 25, 25 years. But not right now, he doesn't have a wall a walleye tournament boat. I have that, and we used to fish together back when I didn't have a boat, and he did like fifteen some years ago, and. I mean, we're not, it's not like I'm just running the total show. Like I'm making every decision. Everything's collaborative. He's got a ton of experience. Um, I, I kind of coined him my, uh, 
my bird dog this year. It's like I take him out. If I put him out in the field with birds, he's going to sniff them up, you know. So if, if I put him out, if I can get out on a spot, I use my electronics. If I get out on a spot, find the spot, and I just say, okay, let's start fishing. He's going to – sorry. He's going to – he's going to – um he's going to put it, put together the program or he's going to make fish start happen in the boat. So, um, you know, we work together, we make decisions together. Um, and, and it just works. Uh, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not always just my decision or not, you know, not always his and, and, uh, makes it work out. Well, we have definitely have good chemistry for sure. Well, the Lake Erie walleye trail last year, obviously made headlines with the scandal and everything went on there. But it sounds like full fields. And, and I think it seemed like it was one of those things that while two guys came out of that looking pretty bad, the, the trail itself, the tournament series itself, I think Jason really became kind of the hero out of the whole deal there. Um, how do you feel like that affected the Lake Erie Walleye Trail going forward after all that stuff happened? Well, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one as well. So, um, you know, he uh, he had the Lake Erie Walleye Trail going in a great direction before those guys and with those guys around. But there was a lot of chatter. I mean, there was a lot of chatter and there was a lot of us that thought that those guys were, you know, up to no good before they were actually caught. And actually, it's good that uh, obviously it was good that they were caught. And it was a good timing for it to get caught because there was a lot of people that were like getting to the point where they're like, I'm not going to fish anymore if these guys are still in it. And, you know, so they got, of course they got caught and that was a breath of fresh air for a lot of us that were like, okay, now we're back to an even playing field. You know, I got a lot of publicity, even though it was negative publicity, it was still publicity. So that kind of grew it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's really remarkable what it's become because I mean, Jace, for example, Jason Koff and I, we won the Lake Erie Walleye Trail in 2010, the team of the year. I think we got like a two foot plastic trophy and a, and a jacket. And then, you know, I don't even, I don't even think there's any, you know, money on the line for that. The championship, you know, the fields, if you won a tournament, you won like $2,000. This last championship we won with Ranger Cup and winning the tournament, we won 22,000 for that. And then team of the year, we won another 10,000. So it's like, we walked away with $33,000 in a tournament that was, you know, it's a $400 entrance fee, you know, and then there's a little bit of a, a, a option pot, but then, you know, that's, and that's a testament to the size of the fields he's drawing. And then he also has some great sponsors for uh, the tournament as well. So that kind of just brings in money and fuels everything and just makes, he makes it that much better. There's a great staff involved that makes the tournaments run really well. And, and so it, it's really cool what it's growing to. I mean, like it used to be, you know, you're making, you can make more, you can earn way more money on the Lake Erie walleye trail than, you know, some of these other team format cir circuits. I won't say any of the, the, the names, but I mean, you can look it up and, it's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. And it's a great group of anglers. It's run really well. It's fair now. And uh, it's, it's fun to do for sure. Very cool. Uh, tell me about, I mean, this is, you, you talked about the money there and, and yeah, that's awesome money to be winning in tournaments. Um, but this isn't your, your gig. I mean, your gig is you're a pilot and I think that's very cool. 
Um, tell me about how being a pilot and being a tournament fishing angler, how are those things similar? What, what do you use? What skills do you use in your everyday real you know, job that translates into what you're doing on the water? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, you know, and it's, it's funny because when I, so I work for Delta Airlines and when I got, when I interviewed for Delta, I, I did equate a lot of tournament fishing to the job as a pilot. So it's kind of, this is the first time I've been asked this the other way, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're operating heavy equipment, heavy, high powered technological advanced equipment, electronics, things like that. So just, you know, learning that. Uh, is part of it. You're analyzing weather all the time. Safety is a big thing. Um, so, so those those are kind of the things. And the other big thing, and I kind of equate this more to the even the pro am side, but e- even the team format is the teamwork aspect of it. So, like when I show up for a flight uh, to to fly with Delta, I mean, there's there's sixteen thousand of us pilots at Delta. So. Now, granted, we each have our own position within our own fleet and base, so that that does narrow down the pot a little bit. But a lot, most of the time, when I show up, I'm showing up to work with a stranger, a guy I never met met, met before, and you're going into an environment where you're working, you know, a, a highly critical, you know, important job that's you know requires networking and teamwork and the other guy and you know communication and and things like that and. And it's with someone that you you might have never met before, and you have to instantly go in and do your job and be a professional and do that. And you know, tournament fishing, guiding, it's the same thing. Especially you know those those national walleye tours. I feel like I've done one of the reasons I've done really well with that is I feel like I work. And I, I think you could ask any of my co-anglers that I've had over the year. I think I do really well at a step establishing a rapport with those co-anglers right off the bat and then kind of like you know just developing a relationship and monitoring that person so like you know one of our jobs as a pilot is monitoring the other guy and making sure they're doing doing their job and hopefully they're doing the same thing same thing for me so and then coaching them up and, and and things like that so that communication aspect that i get to do every day when i go to well not every day but when i do go to to work as a pilot, you're doing this kind of the same thing with the other people that you're fishing in the boat with, whether it's someone you've done fish with for many, many years or someone that you just met that day. It's kind of the same job, that communication aspect for sure and teamwork. Very cool. Uh, you talked about electronics. You talked about uh, putting puzzles together. One of the tools you use is the Fishhawk X2. Um, tell me a little bit about how you use the Fishhawk X2 to catch more fish. Yeah, absolutely. I started using it, uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago or so. And, you know, before that, I always just kind of, you know, you watch how your rods are running. Okay. And that's, you see how your rods are running to see how, you know, the speed on your bait. The biggest thing I like it for is the speed, uh, knowing what the speed of your baits is through the water. And so I kind of would use, you know, the load of the rods to, to determine my speed speed through the water, which significantly impacts where your baits are running in the water, especially if you're running things that are uh, negative negatively buoyant. So, like like uh, any of the inline weights or lead core or you know tadpoles or dipsy divers or anything like that. So, 
But then I started using the fish hawk and it just makes it that much more precise. And every, every pass that I do, I, I was having this guy, I was out fishing yesterday and the guy I was with was asking me about, uh, oh, he's a salmon guy actually. And he was asking me, and I have the, the X2 on the, on the shorty rod and, and I, it's so nice and convenient. So I'm like, I could just drop this right over the side. It takes me three seconds to deploy and have it and have, have a reading. So I'm like, I drop it every single pass that I've trolled this entire year. And he was like, wow, he wasn't, yeah. I'm like, it's just free information. But, you know, back to your question as to how I use it. So when I first started using it, I kind of gave myself a headache with it. So in other words, I was always under the impression I need to go out there and figure out what the current is. Okay, so if I'm trolling with the waves this direction and my speed over ground says it's doing you know, two mile an hour and my fish hawk says I'm doing one and a half mile an hour. Does that, does that mean I'm going with a half mile an hour current? Well, then you turn around and that number doesn't match. And part of the reason I think it does is the calibration on, you know, the, the X2 isn't, isn't exactly what it would be in a zero current situation. And there is, you know, there is a way, and I, I've talked with, Trevor and some of the other guys on, well, can I calibrate it? But then the question is like, well, when are you ever in a completely zero current situation to calibrate it? So I, I kind of went changed to the mentality of, you know what? I don't really care exactly what the calibration is and I care exactly what the current is of the water underneath there. What I care about is what speed through the water is leading to productivity. Okay. So my fish hawk's down, I'm out there trolling. I set a speed that I feel is right for whatever circumstances I'm using. So whether I'm using inline weights or dipsies or, or whatever. And when I get a bite, one of the first things my eyes go to is that fish hawk and see what my speed through the water is. So then I know, okay, that's what I need to duplicate. And that's basically the program for all of fishing and anything is duplicating things out of success. So when I can see that, you know, that speed through the water that that thing's telling me that produced a bite. Now I can go duplicate that, you know, and, and I know that's kind of long winded, but I'll give you one more thing on that too, is, you know, the other problem with that I've found, especially on Lake Erie is if you try to just have this mentality of like, okay, the current, you know, the lake is seasoned from east to west where that's where the water raises up and down with wind. Okay. So it's rising up and down. You got the Detroit River flowing through there. That's creating current. So you got these things that are making currents. Well, it's not that if you're on the south shoreline, it's not like the current's just constantly going east to uh, west to east at, you know, 0.3 or 0.5 mile an hour or whatever. There is all sorts of eddies and currents and, you know, seams that are along the shoreline. So you make one pass one way and you might see that if, even though you're, you're, your bow mount's the same speed, your kicker's the same speed, everything's the same, you're going to see that that speed through the fish hog vary quite a bit. So it's not just a constant current that you need to know. It's just, okay, what is this doing right now? And that's the way I use the X2 to tell me the speed. And that's why I use it that way. It's just duplicating success with the speed that it's giving me. Yeah, it's amazing for people who haven't used it how much difference in current there is locally? I mean, you can be going in the same heading, you know, for a mile and have very, very different current readings. Just 
if there's a little bit of structure in the bottom that's making that water move a different way and you know people think of the great lakes as lakes but really the way the water moves through them it's very much like a river and i think if you're not a good river fisherman it's going to take a while for you to find success in the great lakes because that current makes such a big difference on how things work under the surface yeah absolutely and you know the time that i think that it's almost the most important is when it's super calm uh when it's super calm that's when it's almost harder to read when you have a bunch of wind and you know, the waves are going, it's usually pretty predictable and constant. But when you get those really calm days, it's amazing how much difference one direction or another will make. And the other thing is like, especially in the central basin. So there's there's actually a chart that you can look up online, but it's, it's really interesting to see how the lake sieges. And what, the, what I mean by that is, so like I said, if you get a bunch of wind from the Southwest, it's gonna make the water level in Buffalo rise, okay? Well, that wind stops and that water level comes down and then you know it goes, the water pushes back to Toledo and then it, it, it kind of sloshes back and forth and you could see those different water levels changing. There's a, there's a gauge for that, but if you're in the central basin, that whole time the water in the central basin right in the middle staying right, right you know, same level, but that water's moving through. And what, I, what I've what i noticed is amazing is how that current can change throughout the day, you know, throughout hour to hour, you know, one direction versus another, even just right out in the middle of the lake. So, you know, it makes a big difference with, um, and, and, and the biggest difference, I will tell you, the, the one thing that makes the biggest difference, it's not that, it's not that the walleye sees your bait and says, oh, you know what? that spinner is moving through the water at 1.2 miles an hour. And I don't think I only want to bite, bite it at 0.9 miles an hour. No, it's not, that's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is the depth control, which people need to understand. So, you know, when you're fishing like an inline weight, I use the, the offshore pro guppy weights. Um, when you're fishing that, that three ounce inline weight, you know, at, at if you change that speed by 0.3 or, or actually it's even more of a factor with the lighter weights when you're going down to like the one ounce weights when you if you change that speed by 0.3 through speed you know speed through the water that could change that the depth of that bait by five six seven feet that could put easily put you out of the strike zone so the biggest thing with knowing your speed and walleye fishing is more getting keeping your baits in the strike zone than it is you know what's going to trigger bites now now it definitely matters sometimes they want a speed to trigger the bites but it's more about the depth control than anything else very very interesting wanted to talk to you a little bit today about uh the predator championships and you um going over to europe fishing and representing team usa um we call it the predator championships but i you know it's hard to find information on the predator championships because it's called the 14th carnivorous artificial bait boat angling world championships that's a that's a mouthful right there yeah. tell me a little bit about that yeah it's uh it's really really cool um thing that's going on it's it's a it's a world championship for fishing and and uh yeah it is the uh the, the carnivorous artificial boat angling championship. So carnivorous meaning it's the, it's for predator fish. So what we do is you go to whatever host country, uh, give, given body of water they choose and you fish for 
the top predator species on that water, and it could be multiple species. So in, in this case, we were in Latvia and we were fishing for pike, zander, and perch. So you can you can go out and target any one of those. It's artificial baits only. Um, it's casting only. There's there's no trolling. You can't even fish vertical, and uh, it's out of a boat. So it's a really cool format. Uh, mostly European countries, but there's other, other countries like us, uh, Canada gets in it every once in a while. Um, South Africa was down there, uh, a, a few years ago before I started in it and, uh, it's, it's growing and, uh, it's, it's, you know, globally recognized. And the cool, really cool thing is, is it's in the works that along with bass fishing to become an Olymp Olympic sport. Um, so it's, you know, to, to think that, hey, fishing like we do could be in the Olympics someday is pretty incredible. And then, you know, the opportunity to go and wear the red, white and blue and like, you know, the flag on your, your, your shoulder and, you know, USA angling. It's really uh, it, it's pretty surreal and, and uh, definitely a tremendous opportunity, something I'm very proud of and something I certainly don't take for granted. I watched an interview that you did with Chuck Earls talking about this. And I think it was actually, it was after you had come back from your first year, your first experience going over there. And it sounded really, really interesting in that, you know, when we think about tournament walleye anglers, tournament anglers of any kind, you know, we, for me anyway, it's the boat and, and how um, everyone has their boat set up and you've got all these incredible electronics and you got the big motors and, you're going over there and you're basically using a loner boat. And, and these are not the boats that, that we're used to seeing, at no. least uh, on the walleye, uh, on the uh, tournament trails here. Uh, tell me about that situation and going over and kind of jumping on a boat that that's really kind of set up maybe the way our grandpas would have their boats set up. And, and you guys got to make those work for, for these tournament setups. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. There's, there's variety in it too, because, you know, when the, and it's dependent on the country. So like, you know, a few years back there in England and England are just really small bodies of water. And I mean, everybody there is fishing out of a 14 foot boat with a, or 15, 16 foot boat with a, tur a tiller. And so that's, that's what you got. You're an Island nation. So that's what people had. Now last year in Czech Republic, you got to see a little bit more variety of the European boats. So there was, there was, you know, some more, I would call it a little bit more worthy boats there. Uh, there were a lot of the, but a lot of them were the, the competitors own boats that they were able to bring there because a lot of the European nations, they can just trailer their boats, but there's, there's some nice boats, but they're a big boat for them is a 1920 footer with a 200 on it. Um, because it just, they don't have, and it's, you kind of don't realize it until you go over, they don't have the bodies of the freshwater bodies of water like we do here in the United States. So they don't have a need for, you know, a 23 foot Ranger with a 400 horsepower motor on and a kicker, you know? So, uh, but the one thing that I, I've been impressed with in both places, they are way into their electronics. So, you know, like over there, everybody's got uh, multiple forward facing sonar units on their boats, you know, the active target, the, there's several with the Garmin, um, you know, this boat that and and this year actually in latvia we had a really nice boat uh it was one of it was actually the tournament director's boat who was nice enough to let us use his boat 
and that had it had a Lorance unit on it, it had a live scope on it, it had active target. I mean, it was it was decked out, and it was it was pretty nice. It's still it's still there is the uncomfortable level of you know it's kind of like trying to go play. You know, I don't golf, but I imagine if you tried to go play golf with someone else's clubs or you know put on another pair someone else's pair of sneakers and tried to pay, play basketball, but it's it's not the biggest deal it's something that we we can adapt to and uh it's it's you know it it, it is an, an interesting variable but you know I'll, I'll take this a little bit further the bigger issues and the bigger things that we've learned over the last couple of years to that'll help us in the future and and, and to be quite honest we haven't been that competitive in the last two years we've fish, finished kind of you know as a team we've done some of the uh, our pairs have done good but as a team it's kind of a that's a cool thing it's a collective team score uh for the united states and two different boats out there we haven't done that well but we've learned some really important lessons and you know part of it is the format of the tournament and that you have to you, you don't have to catch every fish. You have every species. You just have to catch as many as you can, and every fish is scorable, which is a different mentality than we're used to. We're used to fishing for the best five fish we can go for. So fishing for trophies is a much bigger deal in our tournaments, whereas there it's, it's firing through as many as you possibly can. So we kind of learned a little bit of the, the thought process on selecting, trying to figure out what species you can score the best with. And then the other hard thing that we've learned is that these species, even though they are perched, they're not our perch. They don't react and 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 bite the same way that ours do. And the pike, they're kind of similar, but the, the biggest one that's totally different is the Xander. I mean, a Xander looks like a walleye, but it's nothing like a walleye. The what triggers them, how they get them to bite, things like that. And we've, we're learning that. And, you know, we've, we've taken a lot of that and, and I, we're going to, we're going to make some noise in this thing in, in the near future, for sure. If we keep getting to go, getting this opportunity one way or another. So um, it's really cool. And uh, I hope it grows like crazy. Yeah. I, I was listening to that Chuck Earl's conversation that you had and, and getting those Xander to bite. And again, you can't vertical jig them. You can't troll them. So everything's got to be on the cast. And everything's got to be on the reel. So, like you guys trying to break that down and, and solve the puzzle on how to get those Xander to bite was a, uh, was a little bit of a challenge figuring all that out. Yeah. And you know, the other, the other tough part about it too is, you know, us anglers. So myself, uh, John Hoyer, Max Wilson, Nick shirts, we're, we're the ones who have gone done it the last year and the last couple of years and all just incredible anglers. But the hard part is, is they have a limited practice, a limited official practice. So you have two days of practice and then it's a three day tournament. Before that, last year, before the tournament, there was a week where you were closed off the water. So if we wanted to go for practice, we had to go a week prior, stay there and find something to do for a week and then come back to fish a tournament or make two separate trips. And then this year it was it was two days of, of officially the, the body of water's closed. Well, we all have busy schedules. You know, I had the Lake Erie Walleye Trail uh, Championship. Some of the other guys had hunting commitments. Um, you know, John does his TV show. I mean, we we were 
we were busy, so there wasn't an opportunity to go before the official practice. So getting only those two days of practice is is a real challenge considering you know, one thing we've learned too is like a lot of these other countries, like they're there for three weeks before the body of water is closed. Like, like I know Ukraine and Estonia and Latvia. And I mean, this is, it is a huge deal for them and they're, they're funded by their governments. And, you know, so they get a lot more time, which that's definitely not an excuse for us, but it is, it's definitely an advantage. Um, that they have. And, you know, in the future, we're going to try to find, you know, I don't think it's going to be a three week thing, but even if we just had a few more days, it would, it would help out tremendously. So, so that's one thing, but then back to, you know, how to figure out triggering the Xander. It's like, well, it's electronics. First of all, it's, we're going around and we're using the active target and, and, and finding these fish on the live forward facing sonar for sure. But then it's just amazing what how much different it was to get them to trigger. And the, the thing with Xander, we figured out is they're just they're so lazy. Like they do not like you can like with a walleye, you pop a jig and wrap or you know a, a snap jig, you know a, a, a fluke or something past them, and that that triggers them a lot. What you want to do with a Xander mostly is you got to drop that bait just on them, and when you put that on them you just have to move it so slowly by them and if you speed up or twitch it or 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 or, or snap it or anything they just forget it like they just want the easiest meal possible so it's almost like you just it's almost like if you were allowed to fish bait you could put a piece of cut bait in front of them and they'd probably bite it but they don't want to chase anything or they don't want to you know they're, they're not that aggressive but man when they just i'll tell you what though when they decide they want it they absolutely thump it and they fight great and, and and they are a lot of fun it's just it's just a whole different trigger that we learned and this series is going to come to the united states this is what i heard um on that chuck earls podcast when when is this going to come to the united states well you know i'm i don't really know um i've heard that they are coming to the united states it was supposed to be it was supposed to be last year and then it got pushed back. I think part of it was the host. We were going to do it in green Bay, And then there was issues with you being able to host it there. Um, I think part of that was to, you know, the size of the body of water. Whereas, you know, if, if we had, it's, it's be challenging to have this on a place where you could have a blow day. So I think that was part of the, the situation and then, uh, I mean, there's brass at U.S. Angling that could probably answer that question better than than I could. But it would be, I'm hoping within the next two to three years, I know next year the plan is in Ireland. Uh, I heard Estonia is in the cards in the near future as well. So wherever it is, I mean, sign me up. I'm going. I don't care. I'll, I'll go to the moon if it's in the moon. But, uh, he, you know, it, it would be really cool to see it come here. And um, with that being said, I was telling my wife, I mean, it'd be cool to come here and do really well here, but it'd be really, it would almost be extra special to go over to one of those countries and win there too. And, and the interesting thing too, that I found out this year is in the last four years, the host country has never meddled, which is remarkable to me. So, yeah. you know, the top three, you would think that the host country would be a lock for top three and none of, in the last three or four years, none, never has the host country Metal. Now, I think 
I would like to think that if it came to the United States, that'd be a different story because these guys would be coming to fish a species they'd never fished before, you know, but um, we'll see. Like I said, one not, my focus now is Ireland next year and learning as much as I can about that. I've started to research on that. And, and uh, this year, definitely, I'm going to hope to make some trips over before it actually, uh, the actual official practice. So I can get some time on the water and, and, and whatnot. You got to reach out to your congressman and get some funding so you can get over there a little earlier. Yeah, I know it's it's tough, you know. I mean, that's yeah, money's not a uh, that's not something I'm I'm the best at is getting people to just give me money, so you know, or give us money. But I mean, uh, yeah, I what I need to do is get Delta Airlines on it, so and they can start flying us over there. I actually yeah. kind of approached my chief pilot. I'm like, hey, what? It, I'm going to do this. Is there any way we could work the schedule out so I can just operate the flight over there to Amsterdam? And then, you know, that's where we connect all our Delta flights over there and then, then underway. But it, it was just logistically, it's just, it's just too much of a mess. I, would, I think that'd be pretty cool to get to fly yourself over there to go and fish that. What I really need the official airlines, the U S angling team. Yeah. Heck yeah. What I really need to do is just drive the Ranger 622 right up in the cargo compartment and take that over. Now, now, then we'd be really talking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that's um, that's going to be a much harder sell, though. Hey, let me throw an extra 6,000 pounds on this airplane here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of big checks, though, you uh, you had a, a pretty cool Halloween costume we all saw <laughs> on uh, Instagram and Target Walleye. You went as Happy Gilmore. Tell us a little bit about that Halloween oh, costume. Did that make Target Walleye? I didn't know that. It did, yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, of course, I've always loved the movie Happy Happy Gilmore. And like Happy, I am not a golfer whatsoever. So, well, <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I'm a golfer at least, but just like he didn't. But uh, I mean, I always just, I don't know, like something about like when I got into fishing and, you know, the first time you see a fishing tournament, you see a guy holding up a big check. There's just something cool about that, you know. So in the loot over the last two years, like that's when I really started getting back into the loot before I was in the, you know, mostly in the National Walleye Tour and the MWC and stuff. And in the loot in the last two years, Jason Fisher took it over and it's a really cool thing he does. So like, the top, I think it's the top three get a, a, a big check, you know? So, I mean, to me, that's cooler than a tr trophy, but I've been, we've been collecting quite a few over the last two years. I think I got six of them. So it was just, it just thought it was a funny, good prop to, you know, use for a, um, a Halloween costume. So I got a lot of good, good feedback on it. It was, it was fun. You know, big checks are cool for sure. <laughs> That yeah, was really good. Ryan, I, I've kept you longer than I usually do. Uh, it was just a great conversation. You had a lot of good stuff to talk. So um, I, I kept you on a little longer, but was there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about? Oh, no. I mean, that was pretty good. I love talking fishing. So, you know, anything like this. Uh, no, I think we're pretty good. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, thanks for supporting our passion, you know, Great Lakes fishing and, and, you know, getting the word out there for, you know, everybody else that's interested in it, you know, and if any, anyone listening to this says, you know, any questions specifically for me, I'm usually more than happy to reply, you know, hit me on Instagram or, or Facebook or something like that. And, and uh, I'll be happy to get back to you and help you out. 
Very good. He is Ryan, buddy. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. It was fun talking to you. Uh, first time on our show, and I just appreciate you taking the time out for it. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.